listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, good morning, church. If you will, find your place in the book of Matthew 28. It's great to see you in person, a room full, and even those online. And we're so glad that you are worshiping with us today. But this morning, we do come to celebrate, to remember the one thing that sets us apart, and it is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But I hope this week, and you have taken some time amongst the ball games and the Easter egg hunts and all the time with family to think about what this must have been like for those that knew him well. So as the sun began to rise this morning, the light began to break through the darkness of the night. For them, that was not a moment of celebration. Imagine what it had been like to stake your whole life in a man, to give up all that you had to follow him, and then one day to think it was all worthless, that they had absolutely lost all hope. But as the sun broke through the darkness, as air began to enter his lungs, his heart began to beat The stone rolled away. The clock on the universe was reset and everything changed. So church, pray with me. Father, it is a privilege to be able to proclaim with the saints that you are the one true God. That in you and you alone we can find purpose and hope and meaning. And that death in this life can take away all the things that we love but is the only thing that can bring us what we desire, hopefully, the most, and that is you. For as believers, we know that death is not the end. It is only the beginning. But our days are tough. Our lives can be difficult. And so, Father, I pray for this passage this morning as we will look at your gospel of Matthew and the words that he has for us, that your promise would stand true today, that your word will accomplish something. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name and by the power of your spirit. Amen. So Matthew 28, let me give you a little bit of context because we're pausing our Ephesians series for just one week. Next week, we will pick up with a focusing on marriage. But in chapter 27, that after Jesus died, as the sun began to set on that Friday evening, a man named Joseph went and asked for the body of Jesus. Took his body off the cross, wrapped it in burial cloth, and he placed it in his tomb. After they carefully laid his body there, they rolled a stone across the entrance, and they left. That is the funeral of Jesus. Joseph, maybe a few helpers, And simply two women sitting there watching his body be laid at rest. And what a a tragic, what what a sad scene. 
Well, after this, the religious leaders who basically orchestrated um, his crucifixion, they went to Pilate the governor, the man who ended up ordering his execution. But the reason for their meeting was that Jesus had taught he had made a claim that he would be crucified, but that he would be delivered up to death, buried, but that he would rise again in three days. And they were threatened. They were afraid that this conspiracy where these disciples would go and steal the body and it would give claim to the truths that they were saying. So what does Pilate do? He has that stone sealed. Position some guards there. That no one is to go in and no one goes out. What these leaders didn't realize is these disciples, these guys were no threat at all. They are scared. They are scattered. They're defeated. They had lost all hope. The last thing in their minds was to continue this thing that they had been doing and going. In fact, they had placed all their eggs in the basket of Jesus, and but now he's dead. All hoped seemed to be lost and Matthew Matthew was there and he sits down and writes this account as he's thinking through it he is taking his pen and he's writing down what he had saw and what he had heard he's one of those disciples that ran scared and wondered what on earth he was going to do with the rest of his life So let's pick up in Matthew 28, verse 1. He said, now after the Sabbath, after Saturday, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. So on Friday, he is crucified before sundown. They take his body down and place him in a tomb where he's there Friday evening, all day Saturday, and into Sunday morning. And Matthew tells us that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the mother of Joseph or James, went to the tomb. But let me remind you who this woman is. Mary Magdalene, she is from this town of Magdala. It is a sin-ridden city. But you first meet Mary in Luke chapter 8, where she is possessed by seven demons. And this stranger comes up to her and releases her from these demons. And Mary follows this Jesus around. And almost every time we see Jesus as a major crossroads, it is crucifixion, after his resurrection, guess who is there? It's Mary. In fact, she is mentioned 12 times in the Gospels, more than most of the disciples. In fact, from all accounts, she is the only one from her town that followed Jesus. I think Mary became a faithful, dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. I think she knew him well. She'd experienced freedom of demons being cast out of her by this man. She'd watched him do countless miracles. She had sat at his feet to hear him teach. I think we could easily say she loved him and she was faithful to Jesus and that she knew him well. She is somebody I would say is all in for Jesus. 
But notice what Matthew says she was doing. She was going to see the tomb. Mary was going there to simply mourn. She had no expectation. She had no category that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. Even though she knew him, she'd experienced a miracle. She had said in her teaching. She'd even heard him claim this would happen. But this Mary, she still doubted. She was not going to the tomb expecting to find the clothes laid and Jesus alive. She was simply taking some spices to pour over his decaying body to cover the smell. But then notice what God does. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And an angel descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards, they trembled and they became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly. Tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going to go before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And she ran to tell the disciples. So God does five extraordinary things. He sends an earthquake. He sends an angel from heaven. He, the massive stone is rolled away. This angel appears in his beauty like lightning paralyzes these guards. And the angel gives her a message. And so I want us to see two important things here. One, the doubt of Mary. She had doubts. Even though she knew him, she was with him, she listened to him, she still doubted. But notice, the angel never rebukes her. She never gets a rebuke for her doubt. He only comforts her. And this is what I want you to grasp this morning. That Christ is more committed to you than you can ever or ever will be committed to him. And I think that's what he is showing Mary. Mary, I'm in this for you more than you could ever be for me. Second, here's something interesting about the resurrection of Jesus. No one ever witnesses it. Do you know in Scripture there's two things that we never see a witness to? Creation or the resurrection. There are no witnesses to that, those things happening. And here's why I think that is. I think it is putting all of us on equal ground. That all of us, including Mary, had to accept this by faith. That no one got the advantage of seeing it happen. Therefore, we must accept God created the world by faith. And that Jesus Christ rose from the dead by faith. And I think it's showing us that it is not the amount of faith that we have is important. Mary didn't seem to have much. But it's who her faith is in. Because we're going to see Christ is much more committed to her than she could ever be to him. So if no one saw it, 
then how does she finally come to believe it? She hears it from an angel. And what does that angel tell Mary to do? Go quickly and tell the disciples. And she goes and says she is full of fear and joy. And notice what happens next in verse 9. And behold, Jesus meets them and says, Greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So he greets them, and at this point they take hold of his feet, and they begin to worship. I think what we're seeing is the effects of the resurrection happening in her life, that it is the only thing that can take something as full of despair as the cross and turn it into a symbol of hope. Well, then Matthew takes us back to another scene with these mighty soldiers. And you last saw them in verse 4. And where do you see them? They're, they're stumped like dead men. They are so afraid. These powerful soldiers are well-trained. They're fearless, feared by everyone. And they're paralyzed by the beauty of an angel. So these guards are going to go and tell the chief priest. And look at verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went to the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a great sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while you were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this is the story that has been spread among the Jews to this day. So a meeting's just called together to discuss what are we to do. And they come up with the idea, let's give a sum of money. Let's bribe these soldiers to tell everyone that they fell asleep. And what these soldiers are being asked to do is admit that they had failed. They were afraid this news was going to reach the governor, fearing for their lives. So the soldiers agree to this sum of money. To go along with this plan. But then Matthew fast forwards to Jesus' meeting with his beloved eleven. And now the eleven disciples, they went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And Matthew is taking us back to the place where Jesus began his ministry in Galilee. But remember, no one witnessed the resurrection. But what we're seeing put in place is now this chain of truth. Mary heard it from the angels. Mary then tells the disciples. And look what happens when they see Jesus. In verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped. But some doubted. Do you notice there is still this element of doubt? Even in these men that gave up everything to follow him watched him perform miracles and sat under his teaching day after day. So this past week over Holy Week, I went back and I reread all the gospel accounts. And what is interesting is they all kind of take a different angle and, and share different elements and events around the resurrection. For example, one of my favorites is in John's gospel uh, where 
John and Peter, they hear this news and they take off for the tomb. And John gets outran by Peter. And I don't know why, John, you would leave that in there. But he gets outran by Peter to the tomb. Or John outruns Peter. But when John gets there, he pauses. And here comes Peter, huffing and puffing and out of breath and tired. And he blows right past John, straight into the tomb. But do you know what all of the Gospels do mention? Every one of them. They all mention the doubt of his disciples. Even though they see Jesus, they are still struggling with doubt. So notice what Jesus is going to say to them in verse 18. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He wants them to know that he is governing now everything. That there isn't anything they could come up with. There isn't a, a single event. There isn't a single thing that could happen in governments or business or industry or science or nature or planets or even in their lives that he is not governing. I think he is showing them how committed he is to them. That this is about him. It isn't about them. It is about him. But what is interesting is that none of the Gospels simply stop there. They all have something else they want us to see. And look at what Matthew wants us to see in the final scene of his Gospel. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are still doing that today. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. But remember, no one witnessed the resurrection. No one got that advantage. And that is because everyone must accept it by faith. But God is doing something. He's putting together this chain of truth. Mary heard it from the angels. The disciples then heard it from Mary and then eventually they're going to go out and tell others in this chain of truth is being put together. And over 2,000 years later, I believe God wants each and every one of us to be a part of that chain about where he's placed us and who you know. To be part of a link of that chain, of the chain of truth. But I think oftentimes we hear something like that and we think, but you don't understand. You don't understand what even this year has been. I mean, you don't understand the, the trouble I've gotten into, and I'm not really good at this Christian life. Man, I look around, and people are so much better at this, and, and I try to do some things, but, man, I have nothing to offer. But let me remind you who God used. Mary of Magdala. He goes to her and says, asks her why she is weeping. This woman is sorrowful and she is distraught. And you see it in her doubt. You know where you find the ten disciples? You find them hiding in the upper room. They are full of fear. And then there's Thomas, the last holdout. I'm not going to believe it. I don't care what you say until I put my eyes on him and I put my fingers where those nail was. The ultimate doubt. And poor Peter, 
I mean, Peter's the one that stood up and said, you know what, everybody may leave you, but I will not. I will even die for you, Jesus. But then he falls. And Christ finds him on the Sea of Galilee, a completely discouraged man. And then there's James. Jesus is on the cross and he can't even give his mother to James to take care of her because James still doesn't believe. James is very unfit. The two men on the road to Emmaus, absolutely confused. And when Jesus gets to Galilee, he finds those guys doing the only thing they know to do to fish. Absolutely powerless. So maybe you see yourself in one of these this morning. Your life, maybe it's been marked by fear and doubt. You are sitting here absolutely discouraged at how your life is turning out. You feel unfit for almost everything. You're confused about where to turn next and you feel powerless to change any circumstance and you simply think you're a nobody. Well, I want you to know that's actually a great place to be because that forces us to look to Jesus and Him alone to do what only He can do because He's the only one that can break through all of our issues just like He did the grave. But the amazing thing about all of these people, they are the link in the chain that hopefully led to me and you. So church, I would say no matter who you are, no matter your emotional state or your lack of knowledge or accomplishments, your mistakes or your failures, even regardless of your doubts, that Christ is more committed to you than you could ever be to Him. And He will be more faithful to you than you could ever be faithful to Him. But I couldn't let you go this morning without sharing with you what someone took the time to share with me. It was someone that was a part of that chain of truth that led to me. And these are the things they taught me. They said, Mark, you were born into sin. And you are dead because of your sin. And you, by your very nature, are a child of wrath. You love darkness and you hate light. In fact, you're a slave to sin. Your heart is as hard as stone. Nothing good dwells in you. In fact, you are unable to submit to God and please Him. You're unable to accept the truth of the gospel. You're unable to come to Christ and accept Him as your Lord and Savior. But then came Jesus, who never gave in to sin, showed how to love light and hate the darkness, followed God the Father in perfect obedience, endured the wrath that I deserved, and gives me the ability to believe and to accept the gospel that he came to me since I would never go to him. And he broke my chains of slavery to sin and Satan. And then he turns around and gives me his perfect righteousness. And then he said, Mark, Christ lived the life that you could never live. And he died the death that you deserved. And he said, Mark, that is Christianity. And it proves to me that Christ will always be more committed to him than I will ever be able to do for him. That he'll be more faithful than I could ever be to him. 
And so what I want us to do this morning is to celebrate and remember that, that Christ will always be more committed to you than you could ever possibly be committed to Him. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.